Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome to Foothills Christian Church. Whether you're here on campus, watching online, later time, we're all so glad that you are here, especially if it's your first time or you're kind of returning and you've just been joining us through this series. We're just so glad you're here. We're super glad you're here if you've moved from another state and you found the promised land, otherwise known as Idaho. We're so glad you're here. You're welcome. We want you to at least have one person in the state who smiles and says, we're so glad you're here. (laughs) We as a church are a little bit different because we are here to help you grow in your faith. Uh, Everything that we do as a church, our leadership, what I try to do as a pastor and my preaching and all of the people who preach and teach, uh, Pastor Harv and, and all of our staff are trying to help you grow in your faith so that you own your faith. You know what you believe and why you believe it. And the reason why is because when you discover what you believe and why you believe it, you kind of discover who you are. And the first step towards maturity is knowing who you are. And the reason we're doing this series on faith and science is because it is such a big obstacle for so many people, men in particular. Uh, They may have grown up attending church, their family has a faith, and then they would go to university and then they come out and they're kind of tripping up over it, you know? And it takes a while to really work that out. And so we want to help people grow in faith. We have to do this series to help people know why there really isn't a conflict between faith and science. And today what we're going to do is conclude this series by pulling it all together. together. And I have a simple little uh, statement of truth that I would like to show you. And that is this, and that is the ideology of atheism is using science and how it hurts our society. And so that's what I'm going to kind of talk about today is the ideology of atheism, scientific materialism, secular humanism, naturalism. They're all synonyms for basically the same thing and how it actually is hurting our society. Last week, I talked about how it hurts science, but today we're going to talk about how it hurts our society. And the reason why I'm going to talk about it is because if you can resolve the principle between my rational mind, my love for science and facts and tech and engineering with my faith mind, what will happen is your life will come into focus. And the reason for this is because this ideology that's been around for a very, very long time, but really took root in our society back in the 50s, has created a division between the two. And this division, if you hold on to it, what it does is it makes your life kind of muddy a little bit because you kind of vacillate between these two positions. And so by resolving it, your life comes in to focus. Now, in order to really talk about this, we have to uh, basically evaluate, does this ideology of atheism that uses science to advocate its position, does it actually hurt society? So that's what we're going to talk about right now is, does naturalism and atheism actually hurt society? So 
If you want to really dig into this, you can listen to the Salty Pastor uh, this past week because I really went deep. But I want to give you an overview and let you know that a lot of what I'm going to talk about has been sourced and researched and footnoted and so forth. We talk more in-depthly on the Salty Pastor uh, about it. But basically this. Right now, in American society, you live in the most affluent, technologically advanced, with the highest standard of living, not in the world, in the history of the world. So the access to education, the access to healthcare, the access to all of these things are at the highest level that human beings have ever known in the history of the world. Particularly when it comes to the stability, the peace, the level of crime and violence, uh, exists uh, the, the opportunity for young people, their access to uh, the internet, their access to educational opportunities, to media opportunities, all of these things should give them probably the greatest potential to grow into the greatest human beings that the world could ever imagine. However, there's something going on and it's getting worse particularly with our teenagers. Here's some basic statistics uh, I'd like to share with you. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in children 12 to 17 years of age in the United States. The suicide rate for those ages, 10-year-old to 24-year-olds, rose 300% from 1950 to 1990, further increased a staggering 56% from 2007 to 2017. Major depression in adolescence is up 47% for boys and 65% for girls since 2013. Why is that happening? One out of every three teenagers experiences anxiety disorder. 25%, one of out of every four high schoolers that are students, self-harm, meaning they cut themselves or they intentionally abuse alcohol or drugs in order to hurt themselves. During the pandemic, almost half of every teenager, 40%, report dealing with substance abuse and intense mental health disorders. The links for all of these stats are on the app through our phone, uh, the message notes area. So how is it that we live in the most affluent society with the highest access to care, comfort, and yet our teenagers' second leading cause of death is suicide and anxiety and depression and emptiness are growing. Everything else is going down. You know, deaths by heart disease, by cancer, all that, they're dropping. So why is this emotional thing getting worse and worse and worse? Well, the reason why is because our society is creating something called cognitive dissonance. Now, I've always said what you believe is one of the most important things about you. When you really dig down to find out what you believe at your soul level, and when 
you as an individual hold conflicting beliefs or values, that's called cognitive dissonance. And that results in a human condition known as depression, anxiety, shame, guilt, fear, regret. Now, on the surface, it's kind of funny. I have a couple of cartoons to show you how funny cognitive dissonance can be. Here's the first one. My desire to be well-informed is currently at odds with my desire to remain sane. I thought that was kind of funny. Here's another one, a young lady working. She says, uh, just quit already. You hate your job. You can't stand it. And then the other side of it is, don't quit. That's irresponsible. I need to be in charge of my life. And so she has an angel of herself and a devil of herself telling her these two different things. And that gives you an idea in a humorous way of what cognitive dissonance is like. But it goes deeper than that. Did you know that there are a group of vegans who eat bacon? Yeah. If you, if you talk to some hardcore vegans, they talk about a problem in the vegan community is that uh, bacon is a gateway drug to carnivores, right? But, but there's actual vegans who will eat bacon, you know? There, there, did you know that there are triathletes who smoke? Isn't that interesting? They, they smoke even though they know that it's, it's damaging to their performance. Here, let's get a little bit more heavy, a little bit more serious. Here, here is cognitive dissonance. Religious leaders who sexually abuse children. Think about that. Or, or a, a church a treasurer who embezzles money, right, and then spends it on porn. That, that's called cognitive dissonance. Here, here's one for you. Atheists who believe in God. There are atheists who actually believe in God. That I would call cognitive dissonance. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I hope you're getting the general idea. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because when we live in a way that we uh, hold beliefs that conflict with each other, it really puts us in a situation where life is not good at all. Like for instance, you might say to yourself, I am in love and I've made a commitment to be married to this woman and I want her to be my soulmate and that I believe that with all my heart. And then on the other side, you believe I love to spend time with young girls in bikinis. Okay, that, that creates cognitive dissonance within your marriage. You know, you, you can say, I love this man. He, he's so awesome. I respect him from whatever he is, he's doing. And then on the other side say, but he needs to change these 22 things. And if he doesn't get with the program, there's going to be problems. <laughs> right? That's called cognitive dissonance. Right? So I'm, I'm just trying to get you to kind of really grab onto this and how what it does is it results in problems and conflicts and it results in an issue with your own life. And that is you lose focus, you lose clarity, you lose a sense of meaning and purpose and all of these things. And so the New Testament is filled with teaching on how to resolve that. You see, Jesus Christ came and he basically said, look, in order to resolve your cognitive dissonance, you need to put your faith in me. And what putting your faith in me means is eliminating all the other conflicting beliefs out there. 
You see, some people think that the way you grow to maturity is you set a goal and then you achieve that. Well, my goal is to read the New Testament. So you read that and you go, I read it. I must be more mature. But it doesn't matter if you read the New Testament if you're not in the process eliminating conflicting beliefs, right? You got to eliminate those because real maturity, real strength, real confidence, real courage comes when you have a clarity of what you believe and why you believe it. And you're not believing things that contradict and create cognitive dissonance in your life, in your head, your heart, or your soul. So the Bible is full of teaching about this process. Uh, For instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11, the Bible is, uh, this is a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people living in the city of Ephesus. And he's kind of explaining to them real quick what the point of doing church together is. He goes, look, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So he gave leadership gifts to the church. And what are these leaders in the church supposed to do? It says they are to equip God's people for works of service. Oh, so the purpose is for you to discover what your life was meant to be and to do and go. It's supposed to give you a sense of focus. So, so if, if people are going to church, it's like, a, well, all I ever do is feel guilty or all, all that's happening is that. Well, the point of the church is to come together to worship so that you can understand God's point and purpose for your life so that you can go out and serve in the ministry that he has for you. That's one of the core values of our church. It's one of the three main things, and that is we want you to discover your ministry in life. He goes on to say this, when this happens, he says, the body of Christ will be built up, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith. So he's talking about a unified faith, a focused faith. He says, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and then here it comes, we will become mature. See what he's saying is we're going to grow up. How do you become mature? We're eliminating these conflicting beliefs that we carry around with us because we have a unified, focused faith faith on Jesus Christ and we're growing in knowledge of him. He says, when that happens, we will attain to the full measure of every good thing that we have in Christ. If you read earlier on, he says, did you know that when you were adopted into the family of God, you were given an inheritance of every spiritual blessing in heaven? I'm like, I don't know how much that is, but I think that's a lot, (laughs) right? And I'm thinking, I want that. I I need that, not just in eternity, but right now. And so the more my focus, my faith becomes, and as I eliminate these conflicting beliefs, what happens is I attain that. I attain that. And when that happens, look at what he says next. This is really powerful. When you get to that point in your life, you will no longer be a baby. You'll no longer be an infant or a preteen in the faith, okay? You're not going to be an infant. What happens if you are infantile in your faith? You are tossed back and forth by the waves. You are blown here and there by what? Every wind of teaching and the cunningness and craftiness of people who want to deceive you in their scheming. Wow. 
In the world in which you live right now, people are really being tossed back and forth. And some people are like, I don't know what to do or, or how to do this. And people say, oh, if I'm going to be fulfilled, I should do this. No, no, you should do that. If I'm going to be happy, you should do this. No, you should do that. And everything is so confusing out there. How do you wade through all the options and the choices, especially if you're a teenager? You know, I knew a teenager who went to a family reunion. And, and before he gets out of the car, he says, he says, once I am asked what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, 42 times, I am going to go screaming, rip off my clothes, and jump in the lake. Ten minutes later, he was screaming, running towards the lake, you know? And so, you, as a teenager, you feel this pressure, I got to have it all figured out, right? It's like, oh my goodness. So, so what he's saying here is that, how do you know the point and purpose of your life? How do you grow mature? How do you grow strong? How do you eliminate conflicting beliefs so that you have a sense of purpose and focus, right? Well, you do that by growing mature in Christ. So that's God's answer. The first thing to do is focus on Jesus, and then what you'll see is conflicting beliefs kind of falling to the wayside. Look at what he says in Colossians. He wrote another letter to the people living in the city of Colossae. Chapter 1, verse 28, he says, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So, so that's the point, is to help us grow up to maturity in Christ. In James chapter 1, the half-brother of Jesus, he writes to the churches in, in general, and he basically says this. He says, when you suffer, it's a bummer, but guess what? It really can provide something. There's an opportunity there. It, it gives you perseverance. And he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Immature and whiny and always feeling like the world is unfair. No, he says, so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what we see here is the world is constantly creating cognitive dissonance, particularly in teenagers and college students and young adults. The most cognitive dissonant group in the history of America are millennials. They're trying to figure it out, and they're like, Wow, it just doesn't really make, how, what's the answer? Well, the Bible teaches the words of Christ, and that is by putting our faith in him, then we can eliminate this cognitive dissonance, and the result is that we become mature, we become confident, courageous people, but we know who we are, why we're here on the face of this planet, and whether our life really has any value or not. This is an important distinction because, as I said earlier, atheism is hurting society. And here's why. This is how they create cognitive dissonance, particularly in our young people. And that is, when you go to school, it doesn't matter whether you go to a private school or a public school, you start off in kindergarten, and the whole point of kindergarten is to try to figure out how to get you to sit still for 15 minutes, right? That's about it. And then you go to first grade, second grade, all the way up through fifth grade. And what are all the messages that you hear in elementary school? That is, is that you're important. Dream any dream that you want to dream. You can achieve anything 
if you work hard enough and set your mind to it. You can become whatever you want. And then you talk about, you have career day. What do you want to be? I want to be an astronaut. I want to be, you know, the president. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policewoman. You know, all of the things that kids want to do. And we just, we encourage their dreams. And we encourage, what we're saying is we value your thoughts. We value your existence. We value and affirm who you are, what you feel, and what you think. And then you get into high school and you go into the STEMs and you're sitting there in biology class and an atheist begins to tell you there is no God. There never was a God. Evolution proves there is no God. So instead of just teaching the theory of evolution, they make all these religious statements. And so you're in high school and you start thinking, wow, you know, I mean, there's no God watching what I'm doing. Then as long as my parents don't find out, maybe I can go have some fun, right? But then what happens is you start having fun and then you start to think through the ramifications of what you're being told. Well, if there is no God, then we only live in this material universe. And if we live in this material universe, then that basically means that I'm a material being. If I'm a material being, then that basically means that my life has no point or purpose to it because I'm just a part of blind evolutionary processes of natural selection. And so whatever I feel, whatever I think is irrelevant because I live and then I'm dead and I'm worm food after that. So the bottom line is, is whatever I feel or whatever I think is, I can do whatever I want. Now, if you're thinking this way, and then you also have over here on the other side of you, no, but wait a second. You dream a dream. Be happy. We want to affirm your value. Then you come over here, and you have this position of, well, feelings are irrelevant. Love is irrelevant. Hope is irrelevant. My choices are irrelevant. It makes no difference. All life is meaningless because all I am is a deterministic cell-based organism. There's no soul. There's no me that is me. Don't feel bad. Don't feel depressed. Dream your dream and go for it. Your life has no meaning. Why should you care? No one cares about you. Make the world a better place. Take care of the earth. It's the only one we've got. The earth could care less about you. It's a blind universe. It exists only for its sense of existence. It has no care for you. It doesn't care. If it could swallow you up in volcanic magma in a blink of an eye, it wouldn't even blip on any radar because there's no God, there's no spirit, there's no soul, there's no afterlife. Treat people well. Love them with all of you you've got. Let's be a community that builds each other up. No one else can, it matters because it's survival of the fittest. Do you understand cognitive dissonance now? Do you understand why our teenagers are graduating from high school and going to college and then suicide becomes the number two killer of all of them? Because they believe things that do what? They conflict. When you believe conflicting things, your life is a mess. And it happens all the time. This is where people become hedonists, meaning all they care about is pleasure. This is why addiction is going through the roof, because what difference does it make? This is where narcissism becomes rampant, 
Relationships are so difficult to find. How do you find someone to fall in love with? How do you find someone to have a covenantal marriage with when there's no meaning or purpose to it? It's like, it's like the dating scene becomes simply picking who's the most narcissistic or the least narcissistic. What a baseline for that, right? That, this is where addictions come from. This is where disassociation comes from. Disassociation is something where teenagers, and this is becoming really growing, teenagers and young adults feel totally disconnected from everything, right? They've disassociated. They don't have any emotional connection to family, to friends, to their school, to nothing, they're totally lost. This is where rebellion comes from. This is basically young people always searching and never finding. And so they fall into despair, hopelessness, emptiness, and destruction. Thanks, Pastor, for a nice spring day. You know, go to church, really pick me up there. Feeling awesome about that. Feeling really good. Woohoo. Boy, I thought daylight savings time was a bummer, you know? <laughs> wow. When we know truth and we understand what's really going on, then that gives us the greatest opportunity of all, and that is to be free. But we have to understand the incipient deception of this ideology that is being pushed on our young people right and left. And what I want to show you right now is probably one of the greatest and most prominent arguments against it. You've never heard of it before, but it is super powerful. It comes from a man by the name of Alvin Plattinga. He is a professor in a, seated in a chair, meaning it's a very important position, and at Notre Dame University, so a very well-respected academic university. And what he does is he has a basic syllogism, which is a basic premise argument that says that if you believe you are an atheist and if you believe in evolution at the same time, you're a completely irrational person. So let me show you his argument right here. This is how it works. Number one, human beings have cognitive faculties. What does this mean? Well, this means that you think there's a you that's you, and that you can, like, if you make a mistake, you can go back and evaluate from your mistake and learn from your mistake, right? You can do that. You can make choices. You can uh, review data. You can listen to somebody else tell a story and learn from their story. I could go on and on and on. The salty pastor digs into this. But you know what's interesting about this premise? Everybody agrees. All atheists agree with this, and all theists agree that human beings have cognitive faculties. Now, here's what's really interesting. As I said last week, atheists tend to use evolution as an argument to disprove God. Okay, because of that, Alvin Plattinga says this, did you know evolutionary theory teaches that our faculties are not objective or true? This is called Darwin's doubt. Many people have never heard of it because they don't teach it in our school system anymore. But Darwin actually wrote, and this is what he wrote in a letter in 1881, and here's a synopsis of it. I, I read it on the Salty Pastor to you, but it's basically this, and that is, well, if we evolve from step-by-step -step blind processes, then there's no reason to believe that our faculties, our cognitive faculties, are trustworthy. See, there, there's no reason why they should be objective. They should be rational, because all they are designed to do is propagate the blind propagation of DNA, right? 
So you can't trust him. That's what Darwin said about his own theory. There's a whole bunch of other philosophers as well that, that agree with this. So Plattinger says, number one, everybody agrees on that. Number two, everybody agrees on this. And everybody agrees on this. All atheists hold that our cognitive faculties are objective and are true. Because that's how we know there's no God. So we know the truth that there is no God because we can trust our cognitive faculties. Do you see the illogical conflict here? All right? Evolution teaches what about your faculties? They aren't true or trustworthy. What do atheists say about their cognitive faculties? They are. And what do all atheists believe and build their case on to say there is no God? The evolutionary premise. So Plattinger ends his discussion this way. Here's his conclusion. You cannot, you cannot in any way be a person that believes in evolution and atheism at the same time and be rational. So I want to throw the conclusion up here on the screen so that you can read it. So you cannot believe in evolution and atheism at the same time and be a rational person. So people are like, well, why do so many people do it? Because we become a postmodern society. Because we're a society where there's no such thing as objective truth anymore. It's whatever truth you make and you have for your own life. We're relativists. And that's why you can believe things that are irrational. And then these irrational beliefs create cognitive dissonance within you. And this is why so many young people are lost and dealing with anxiety and depression. And when you fall into despair, the only answer is, why should I go on living? It's just too hard. Now, once all of these contradictory things are accepted, once you believe things that conflict with each other and you internalize them, your life makes no sense. This is why young people are lost. And they say, my life makes sense no sense. Or they glob onto these things that seem so shallow or these things that seem so rudimentary, and yet they're so important to them. Why? Because they have no center to them anymore. And it is sad. And it's come from this ideology using science to propagate its own irrationality. Once people buy into this, they will come to selfish living. They, they, they suffer guilt and shame all the time. You know, they vacillate between this and that is, I, 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 you know, I hate my job. I want to quit my job. I can't do my job anymore. Well, you need to be responsible and take care of yourself. Da, da, da. So they just vacillate back and forth. I mean, what a terrible way to live right? Then you have people who say, wow, I want to find someone to fall in love with. I want to, I want to be able to have a soulmate. I want to do that, but I'm going to perpetually date bad boys and fixer uppers who mistreat me all the time. And so it's like you, you get stuck there, you know? It's like a guy will say, man, I, I need a woman who's going to make me great, you know, but uh, I have an overwhelming fear of commitment and will never do it. Uh, see, what happens is we start to vacillate between these things. Then we ask ourselves, why is my life so miserable? It's cognitive dissonance. That brings guilt. It brings shame. This is what Jesus ended up calling, ultimately, being a lost person. You're lost. You're stuck. And that's why the message of the gospel is one of hope. 
because he came to set the oppressed free. Those who are blind, he wanted to open their eyes so they could see. Those who were paralyzed, he healed so they could get up and walk. And you see, not only were these real miracles, but these miracles were, were uh, symbolic or metaphors for all of the spiritual things that he's doing at the same time. And if we allow this, and if you allow this to go on in your own life, what ends up happening is all things uh, become pliable. There are no rules anymore. There are no guidelines anymore. And you start to see this happening in our society. America, the most affluent place right now, is filled with division. People hate people for some of the most basic reasons. People are afraid of one another. Violence is, is growing in our own society. It just seems like things aren't going well. Why? Well, it's not because of a lack of money or a lack of opportunity, a lack of education or a lack of business, right? It's not because of that. There's something else going on. It's spiritual in nature. And that's what's going on. And, and this reminds me of what Paul told Timothy. You know, uh, Timothy, Paul wrote letters to Timothy. These were the last letters that he wrote before he was executed in Rome. And 2 Timothy, they think, is like the last thing he ever wrote. And listen to what he says in chapter 3 of verse 1. He goes, mark my words. Mark my words. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, he wrote this 2,000 years ago. But I want to ask you to consider how accurately it describes America today. People will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Well, see, that. That's not happening in America today. All the kids are overwhelmingly obedient to their parents, right? <laughs> People will be ungrateful. People are unholy, without love. They are unforgiving and slanderous. I mean, that's cancel culture right there. Totally unforgiving and slanderous. They are without self-control. People will be brutal they will not be lovers of the good. They will be treacherous. Is there treachery going on right now? Like never before. People will be rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. You see, the whole point of doing this on faith and science is to realize that when we allow atheists to claim science for their own, it ends up being what Paul just wrote. When we say that faith is one of the greatest benefactors and supporters of science that has ever been, and we want to free it from the iron grip of this selfish ideology called scientific materialism, then science will not only be allowed to flourish in innovation like never before, but we as a society and human beings will be blessed like never before. So 
one of the things I say is I, I don't like to tell people what to believe or what not to believe, so feel free to reject these. But what I'd like to do is tell you what to believe for just a moment. Um, <laughs> please do not believe, these are true statements, please do not believe that science can disprove there is a personal God. Science can't do it. If, that's a, if you do believe that, that's a false belief. Do not believe it is irrational to believe you have a soul. There is a you that is you. So don't believe a falsehood. Don't believe that your choices, your feelings, your actions are irrelevant and make no difference in this reality. Don't believe that because your actions and choices do make a difference. Here's some true statements of what you can believe, that your life has value and you have a soul because you're created in the image of God, right? You've been bestowed by your creator some inalienable rights. Don't ever doubt that. Number two, you are meant to experience true authentic love, but your soul needs healing to do so, right? It needs healing to experience that. Finally, you need to understand that you're not a perfect person and you need to mature so that you can discover the real you. These are things that I hope that you can eternalize from this entire series and take away and saying, you know, I may not remember all the details and all the stuff, but I do remember this. I, I can rationally believe there is a God. I have a soul and what I choose to do makes all the difference. So it's time for me to grow up in my faith. Now, at the end of every series, I'd like to do a blessing. Uh, this one will be a little bit different. And then after that, we'll have our host and then our final prayer. So let's stand for our blessing. If you're at home, please stand for the blessing. This one's a little different, so I hope that it uh, resonates with you, okay? Let us begin. There will come a time in your life where you are confronted with your own existence, and your soul is going to shout, why am I here? What does all of this mean? What answer will your searching find? The world will say, dream big dreams. Follow your heart, pursue your passion. But you live in a material world where your hopes, your dreams, your heart, and passion don't actually exist because in the end, nothing really matters. But you want more, you need more. Your soul is thirsty, your mind seeks adventure, your heart longs for true, authentic love. So in the early morning, the dawn of your youth, you climb the mountain of meaning, searching, seeking, investigating. And when you climb high enough, you turn and you see the empty world at your feet and your soul screams at the world, you are not enough. I need more. My life is more than earth and dirt, water and sea, stars and sun. I am not an accident. And as you gaze upon the worldly wasteland spreading out before you, you feel a gentle breeze upon your face as the sun crests the horizon and warms your face. You cannot look directly into the sun, but you are drawn to it. You hear ever so slightly another answer. It's floating at the edge of your mind, the rim of your heart, just out the doorway of your soul. And as the sun rises in the east, so something rises in your soul a sense, a purpose, a quenching ocean that comes crashing into your life. And suddenly, you know, you sense, you believe 
Your rational mind suddenly realized it was there all the time. Why could you not simply see it? Because it is him and he alone, the creator of all that is and ever shall be. The Alpha and Omega, and in that moment, you feel so very small, so insignificant compared to the immensity of his being against the tapestry of a universe which he painted with his smallest finger. Yet this feeling of smallness overwhelms you with something, not emptiness or lostness, but with purpose. You are not lost in the cosmos. You are here right now in his presence for this very reason. This he, this Yahweh, in his immensity, his endlessness, calls out your name. He knows you. Your soul leaps for joy. For he says, you are mine and I am yours. You are my child and I am your God. You are meant to be and forevermore can be with me. So come. He offers. He invites. He opens the door. Come into your Self. Come into who you were created to be by me. I am the author of your soul and the perfecter of your faith. And only through knowing me is how ultimately you will know yourself. Amen. Let's listen to our host. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.